please, to uh, James chapter 3. James chapter 3. If you're visiting with us today, and there are some that are in town for Thanksgiving that are visiting with family and, or uh, are visiting someone else, and they're here and with us, and they haven't been here for the study of the book of James, we're in chapter 3. We're at the end of chapter 3, actually. Um, and I don't really have the, the time this morning uh, to go back over how we got to chapter 3. Uh, but if you just imagine in your mind that we started in chapter 1, <laughs> verse 1, and studied through until we got to chapter 3, that's what's taken place. Um, I will uh, make some references to some things that we saw together in James chapter 1 uh, during the time, course of our time together. But let me just set this up. I think it'll be a help. If you will uh, go to the end of the book of Hebrews, go to the end of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, which is just a couple pages back in your Bible. Let me, let me somewhat summarize the, uh, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse uh, 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Through the book of Hebrews, which we studied before we studied the book of James, we learn together that you, if you're a new creature, that you have a great high priest who not only ever liveth to make intercession for you in heaven, but who has the power to pour out a blessing, a whole new quality of life into your life. The book of Hebrews is the New Testament counterpart to the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, we see all of these things pictured for us through the tabernacle, the priesthood, and the offerings. But the book of Hebrews makes it clear that all of those pictures were to help us to understand how great a salvation we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have one who on our behalf always, always stands before God the Father personally for you. You and I cannot be our own priest. And we don't need to be. And we don't need a human priest because we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our high priest whose blood paid for our sins, always pleading our case for us because of his great love. And by the way, God the Father is not disappointed about this. He's not just barely convinced by this. He sent his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the will of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that we would have a standing before God that we were righteous, not in our righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ all of the time. But it goes beyond that. Because we learn in the book of Hebrews that at the, after the priest would make the offering for the people, he would come out from God and he would literally raise his hands over the nation of Israel and he would pronounce a blessing, an actual, literal, real blessing. And God would bless the nation of Israel through the priest. Well, this happens to you every day. The Lord Jesus Christ is pouring out a whole new quality of life. And how does this happen? And the answer is by the Holy Ghost. That's living in you. When Jesus said it is expedient, it is good, it is necessary that I go away. Because when I go, I will plead for you. But more importantly for you in your everyday life, I will send the comforter. And he will come and live inside you and give you a whole new heart. And everything changes. And the power to be the men and women, husbands, wives, parents, children. The power to be the, the, the next door neighbor the co-worker, the extended family member, the power to be what God would have us to be does not reside in our flesh, but it does reside in our body because the Holy Ghost lives within us. And this is the difference between biblical Christianity and all the other religions in the world. What we have is God in us, the hope, the expectation of this glory being done in our lives. So that's the book of Hebrews. Now turn over to James chapter 1. 
James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Now what we see, let me just, just again, just uh, to draw the context. Verse 13, James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So what we see here at the beginning of the book of James, what we are learning is this. If you are a new creature and there's sin in your life, the sin is your fault. The sin is because of your own lust, because of my own lust. I do not ruin your life. I may ruin your day, but I don't ruin your life. And you don't ruin mine. We ruin our own lives, but we don't have to anymore. Because it says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So what we've learning, what we're learning through the book of James is that whole new quality of life is meant to be our everyday life now. Listen, God did not save you so that you could have a good Sunday or a good gathering with other Christians or a good time when you have people from your church over and sit down and, and, uh, and have a meal and play a board game or something like that. God saved us to change us all day, every day. You and I can be, can be, by his power, what he would have us to be every day. And if it's not, if this is not true in your life, if this is not true in your life, then listen, hear me. At best, you're being cheated out of your inheritance. At worst, you might not be a new creature. You might not be born again. There are many people who do not have the fruit of the Spirit in their life because even though they go to church, they're not born again. And you cannot have the fruit of the Spirit in your life if you don't have the Spirit in your life. If you're not a new creature, if the Holy Ghost does not live within you, then you cannot have that fruit in your life. But if you are a child of God, if you are a new creature, then you can have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And we'll look at that a little bit together today. But listen, you can also be a child of God and lack the fruit of the Spirit. Because if you, Romans chapter 7 I, I love the idea. That's what Romans chapter 7. I love the idea of righteousness in my life, of doing good things. But how to perform it, I find not. I do not find the power within me to do these things. And, and it's very, very clear that Romans chapter 8 says, so don't walk after the flesh anymore. Your flesh will fail you. You know, one of the things that I, it took a long time to learn this as a young Christian. The things that I didn't want to do anymore, I did not have victory in those things by trying harder. You'll have to deny yourself. You'll have to take up your cross, follow him. You'll have to let the Holy Ghost rule and reign in your life. And he will, he wants to, he's able. He says, let me have the body. I'll do a better job with it than you've been doing with it. And when people see, they will, it says, and they will behold your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Why? Because when they say to you, how is it that you're such a person? Your answer will be, honestly, I'm not. But Jesus is such a man. Jesus is so great that he can even change me. And then their question can honestly be, well, if he can change you, can he not change me? And your answer can be, he can. He can. Because he can change anyone. That's the power of God. That's what we're learning through the book of James. Now, we're in chapter 3. I hope that was only a couple of minutes. I just wanted to take a couple minutes to give us to that. So if you go to chapter 3, and you, if you just go to chapter 3 starting in... Uh, um, Verse 3. Let's, three, let's start in verse 3. I, I want to do this because I want you to see the context of chapter 3 a little bit before we get to the end of chapter 3. So chapter 3, verse 3. Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body, right? Anybody that's ever ridden a horse, we put a bit in the horse's mouth, right? They wear this over their head, a bridle over their head, bits in their mouth, and so you can pull on this. You can make them stop. You can make them go left. You can make them go right. You can control. Now, by the way, I don't know how much time you spend around horses, but when you picture a horse, you picture a pretty good sized animal. When you're around horses, you realize that the reason that people who ride horses wear real helmets is because it's a long way down 
from a horse. It's a very long drop. A horse is an awesome animal. They are, a, they are a giant, powerful creature that men can control by putting a bit in their mouth. That's what this passage is saying. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm whithersoever the governor listeth. Now, if you spend in this area, we see many huge ships all the time. And when you see the ship, if you actually got to see, most of us do not get to see the rudder of a ship. Now, if you have a small boat, if you, you know, your, your own boat, take out on the, on the lake, and you, and you see the, the, uh, the rudder on, on your boat, and you say, you know, it's not very big, then it turns my boat around. Well, the, bo- the, the rudder on a large ship is proportionally smaller than that, meaning to the size of the boat, the rudder is not proportional. It's very small, and yet it's able to literally steer the ship. And so what it's saying is this. There are things, giant creatures that we can control with very small bits. And there are giant things that we can create that we can control with a very small helm. But look what it says in verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. Setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and bird and serpent and things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless God, even the Father, and therewith uh, curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. Listen to this. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a fountain send forth from the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Then it says, this is where John began reading this morning. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of the good conversation of his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't brag about your service to God if you don't love your brethren. Don't. It doesn't matter how great you think your ministry is if we can't love one another, if we can't have real unity, if we can't have real tenderness, then it's a joke. And the world recognizes that it's a joke. And it's worse than that, by the way. Glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, this kind of thinking, this kind of ability in the church, this kind of service descendeth not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now what I'd like to do this morning is spend just a couple of minutes, and we're going to focus on verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. You know, before, we, before I say anything else, let's pray. Father, I just realized that though my heart is really a full of this matter, Lord, I have no power to convey these things. Lord, we just got done looking at the fact that we need your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and lives. And Lord, I would not have the persuasion of man. I would not have my ability to convince the people that are hearing this. Lord, I would that you would use your own holy word and your own holy spirit to accomplish what we cannot accomplish in ourselves, what I cannot accomplish in speaking, and what my brothers and sisters cannot accomplish in hearing. So, Lord, would you bless us, please. Oh, we're helplessly dependent upon you making these things not only clear to us as we hear them, but applicable to us as we would live by them. Lord, bless us this morning, please, in Jesus' name, amen. Righteousness. Now, 
The Greek word here for righteousness is the same word that's translated righteousness almost every place else in your New Testament. When you think of righteousness, what do you think of? One of the words that probably comes to your mind is holy, right? Pure, right, that type of, that type of an idea. Well, in fact, what probably comes to your mind is, I thank God I don't have my own righteousness, but the righteousness that's in Christ, yes? Because you don't really want your righteousness, because your righteousness is as filthy rags. You don't want that. So since we don't want that, what we want instead is the imputed righteousness that only Christ can give us. Now this righteousness is that which we have been given, and we saw it clearly all through the book of Hebrews. But here, here, we see in this it says, and the fruit of righteousness. How do we have the fruit of righteousness in our lives? Think about it. Think about it. I'll tell you, honestly, I misunderstood this. We mispreach this. You think about it. There's no way, there's no way the average independent Baptist would, if you answer this, if you ask this question, unless you quote the verse, there's no way this is the answer. It's kind of like when Jesus begins speaking in the Sermon of the Mount, and he said, blessed are the, and you know, you can, you can just hear the people who are there, all of the people who have been grounded in their Old Testament, and this, oh, oh, I know, I know, I know, blessed are the obedient, obey and be blessed, disobey and be cursed, right? Obey and be blessed, disobey and be cursed, blessed are the obedient, and Jesus says, no, blessed are the Poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that they're not obedient enough. Amen? The, the day that I realized that I was not obedient enough was the beginning of blessing in my life. When I understood that I was never going to be able to stand before God, just like Cain was never going to be able to stand before God in his righteousness, no matter how good an offering he brought, the day you realize that you cannot stand before God in your righteousness is the beginning of blessing in your life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that know I have no righteousness to stand before God in myself. But I thank God that he so loves me that he gave himself for me that I could have real righteousness. So, the fruit of righteousness, how do we bring it about? Um, I mentioned this, it's very pertinent. You're about to spend more time with extended family. Some of you might wish we had heard this before you just spent Thanksgiving with some of your extended family. I know that as a young Christian, there's no doubt about this, as a young Christian, I completely misunderstood how to be a witness to my extended family. I, real, I really believed, and was taught, by the way, that in order for my family to have the blessings of God, they needed to behave themselves a lot like I was learning to behave myself, right? And man, you become so critical. Not mean, no, you don't mean to be mean-spirited about it. It's just, oh, no, you can't do that anymore. Oh, you can't do that anymore. Oh, you can't do that anymore. Oh, you can't listen to that music. Oh, you can't do that. You can't go there. You can't do any of this. And so basically you become a person that walks around saying, you're all just terrible people. Y'all do terrible things, and God will never be able to love you like he loves me. No help at all to your extended family. No help at all to your extended family. Now, I'm not talking about walking around and doing things that you know that God would not have you to do. But here, what we're going to see today is the, the spirit with which we live that life makes all the difference to our extended family, makes all the difference to our neighbors, our coworkers, those that we care dearly about, and we care dearly about them because of the love of Christ that's in us now. So now we care about them, but how can we help them? Well, let's look at this. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Go to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 25. Because the word of God is gonna say this better then I'm going to be able to say it. One of the things you're going to begin to realize is if you allow the Word of God in its own context to teach you, the Word of God is capable of showing you everything that you need to see because it is by itself quick and powerful. In other words, it does not need your help. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. We're going to read 25, 26, and 27, okay? Our Lord Jesus Christ, he's getting ready to leave. He's telling them he's getting ready to leave them, but notice what he says, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now notice this in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So the Lord Jesus is talking. Hear me. Please hear me. The Holy Ghost is going to come and he's going to live in your heart and he's going to give you peace. The Holy Ghost is going to give you peace. The Holy Ghost is going to make you a peaceful person. That's a good idea, isn't it? Now, how many of you know professing Christians who aren't very peaceful? How many of you see that person in the mirror? Right? Yes? No? The Holy Ghost comes to live in your heart, to bear one of the fruits is peace. Yes? Peace you cannot fake. Again, Fred Pletz, peace you cannot fake. You cannot go through what Fred went through and pretend to have peace. You either have it or you don't have it. You can't make it up at that time. Too many Christians, listen, hear me, hear me. Now, I do believe that there are too many professing Christians who are not born again. I really believe that. We see a lot of people who are professing Christians who join the church on their testimony and they say, yes, I'm already born again. They give their testimony of salvation. They have the right words. Again, going back to Cheryl. I mean, Cheryl's the one. She was saved because uh, a guest speaker that we had was talking about a blind person can walk around in his own house because he becomes so familiar with his surroundings. He knows how to walk around in his own house even though he cannot see. And the same thing is true, this preacher said that day, the same thing is true with people People who go to church all the time. They cannot see spiritual things, but they can walk around like blind people around the people that they know because they know the right words to say. They know the right time to do things. They know the right way to act. That's not salvation. That's not salvation. But I'm not talking about that. If you don't have any peace in your life, you need to be honest with God about this and let him save you. But this is not for those people. This message this morning is not for people who need to be saved. The message this morning is for those of you that are saved. Those of you that are new creatures but are not peaceful. You're being cheated. You're being lied to by your own flesh. Now here's the, here's the irony. Our flesh is so selfish that our flesh would rather have its own way and no peace than to have God's way and have peace in our life. We would rather be right about whatever it is. And I'll tell you, the average, the independent Baptist is better at this than most people because they study their Bible. And so they can literally be popping a vein in their forehead arguing with you and be convinced they're doing the right thing while they're doing it. And it's like, dude, you got no peace. I, I, I don't know, all the words that came out of your mouth, I, I couldn't hear them because I was too busy avoiding the spray that was coming out. While you were screaming at me. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. That's what the passage says, right? I'm not making that up. The fruit of righteousness is sown how? In peace. It's sown in peace. You want righteousness in, in your life? You want righteousness in the life of those around you? Then sow it in peace. The Bible says that those of us that will go forth bearing precious seed and doing what, by the way? Weeping. We shall doubtless come again. Rejoicing and bringing what? Our sheaves with us. So what you realize is this. There is no desire on the part of God for you and I to convince anyone that we're right. None. But if they'll say peace in your life. Now we're going to look at some of the other fruits of the Spirit because they all go together. But what I want you to notice is this. What's Jesus' promise? Verse 26, the comforter is going to come. And then verse 27, peace I leave with you. The comforter is going to bring peace because the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. So for there to be peace in your life, you must be a spirit, not just filled, but a spirit-controlled individual. So you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. So if you'll stop having your way, you can have his way. And if you have his way, then there will be peace. And here's something that I'm beginning to really understand. I am not only not a help to people in my own strength, I am a detriment to people in my own strength. I actually hurt my own family in my flesh. 
Even though it would never be, I mean, I don't know how many of you have, have agony in your heart for your own children, for good in their life, a desire. I, you know, we talk about this, but when our children were young, you know, your children get, get to be whatever age. I don't know what age it is anymore. It was, it was a while ago. Can they play this game? Can they go to this place? Can they watch this movie? What can they do? What can they do? And here's the easy answer, none of it. None of it. But they can't do any of it. Fine. You can go down that road if you want to. Here's the problem. They'll get to be 18, and they'll boat like rabbits, right? And they'll go so far into things that they would have never gone into if you were reasonable. Now, I say reasonable. I cannot define reasonable for you. The Holy Ghost can define reasonable for you. And here's the thing. You know, one of the things we try to do is we try to follow. If you have rules for your children that we didn't have for our children, when we had your children over, we tried to follow those same rules while your children were at our house for their sake because we wanted not to be a stumbling block or to hurt anybody. We, and we wanted our children when they went to other people's house, to be, we wanted to be able to be comfortable that they were going to be, quote, unquote, safe when they were there. But here's what I'm beginning, and, and again, I realize this as a father, I really better spend more time praying about this than worrying about this. I really better spend more time asking God to make me the, the man, the husband, the father that I should be than trying to be the husband and father that I should be. But boy, my children really would have benefited if somebody had preached this message to me when I'm the age of some of you guys. Because, isn't that true, Ronnie? I mean, what a tremendous difference I could have made. Boy, my wife said, yeah, I wish somebody would have preached this message when I met my husband. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was, I was born again at the age of 22, and I was unreasonable, at, I'm 52, okay? I was saved at 22, I was unreasonable at 51 and a half, I think. You know what I'm saying? I mean, God is so convincing me, so convincing me. Of, again, just what his word says, you don't have to argue to help people. You can just let the Holy Ghost change you. Because I promise you, people are looking for someone who has peace, real peace. The peace that Jesus is talking about here. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. It's a somewhat familiar passage, but we need to look at it this morning. Galatians chapter 5. And again, I want you to see this because it's important. One, because it has the fruits of the Spirit in it. Two, because it has the contrast. Remember, in the context of James chapter 3, which we're looking at, we have the contrast between worldly wisdom, which is devilish, and heavenly wisdom, which is pure, but peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruit, without partiality or hypocrisy. So that's what God wants us to understand. So go to Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, so you can just circle that, flesh, this is how I behave myself. Now the works of the flesh, not the works of the unsaved, by the way, the works of the flesh. Do you understand? Does anybody understand when I, when I say that? This does not say the works of the unsaved. It says the works of the flesh because saved people walking in their flesh behave just like unsaved people do. Okay? You can be born again, walk in your flesh, and it's just as unattractive. It's more unattractive, by the way, because you're liable to say something wonderful about Jesus a little bit later. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. Now, what's interesting, if you go back through that list, here's the thing. If you go back through that list, some of those things in that list, let me, let's look at these. Witchcraft. Nope. Never, I never cast a single spell in my life. Don't even own a wand, right? So that's not true. I don't have that. Uh, murders. Hmm, I don't think anybody ever died from any of those fights I got in, right? So we can cross that off. Now, I can't cross off drunkenness, but probably a lot of you guys can draw, you know, drunkenness. Oh, adultery. I can cross that off. Well, we won't talk about the next word. Un, you know, so you start going through these words, and you start realizing, I just crossed some of these right off the list here. But then you get to ones like this. Envy. Reveling. Strife. Emulation. Variance. You say, well, these aren't things that I do. This is how I live my life. And the Holy Ghost says, yeah, you're not supposed to. It's not what your life's supposed to be like. Verse 22 says this, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is 
Put a big circle around the first one, right? Because that's the end of the commandment. This is agape love. Fruit of the Spirit. Now, how's, how is this born? How does this happen? Anybody understand planting flowers or, or, or tomatoes or anything? Right? Right? You reap what you sow. Here's the thing. In order, for, in order for the fruit of the Spirit to be something that's a reality in your life, the Holy Ghost is going to have to do it because it's not the fruit of the flesh. The, fr- the works of the flesh are above this. The fruit of the Spirit is a completely different thing. So let's look at those, though. So here they are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Now, sometimes when I'm doing a conference in churches, I will give this list, both of these lists, and I'll ask people just to be honest and, let, and decide for themselves which of these lists is more prominent in their own lives. And without, without variableness, without variableness, almost everyone, perhaps even I could say everyone, will be honest enough to say, you know what, the first list is more like my life than I'd like it to be, and the second list not so much. And yet... Are we not learning here, honestly, learning here together at Tidewater? And again, not bragging about, but we're just spending a lot of time looking at this. This is meant to be the normal Christian life. This is meant to, this is, this should be the normal Christian life. This is what God, listen, this is the promise of God, the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's what Jesus said, I'm going to send the comforter. Peace I will give, not as the world gives. In other words, not through uh, how-to lectures and books. Don't walk after your flesh anymore. Let the Holy Spirit fill your life. He'll change everything. He'll make you like this. You can't make yourself like this. Now, by the way, let me just, just for a moment, let me just, let me just pretend the people, you, you're, you're going to spend the rest of your afternoon with one of two groups of people, right? Which group do you want to spend time around? Which group of people do you want to spend time around? Now, let's say this. Which one of these two would you rather be today around other people? I know I shared this with you, but when I was a young Christian, really young, Kathy and I was probably, well, we were married. I think we were married. Maybe we were married. I think we were married. I'm going to say we were married. Um, so 25, 26 years old. And I was out in Memphis uh, going to uh, school. And we were staying with, uh, um, we stayed with the family when we were out there. She, she, don't, don't explain it all. I mean, I, I think I covered it pretty clearly. Well, I didn't cover it clearly. But I don't have time to explain the whole thing. We were married, yes? Whew, we were married. All right, all right, all right, all right. We did not live together before we were married. That's true. We were staying together. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I forgot where I was. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, we were at this church. We were at this church in Memphis, and there's and, and again, I, I think I've shared this before, but the church was uh, not a big church, but it had a lot of um, like like doctors, lawyers, even uh, even a senator. I mean, just a lot of people of of prominence, of position, and it had a multiple number of. Uh, people who were in full-time ministry who assembled together for like this Bible study. We have these things on Thursday night at our church for the men. We kind of sit in a circle and we talk about the Bible and share our, our, what God's doing in our lives. And it really is a blessing. But this was a really large group of men and women sitting in a really large circle. And I remember going and there was an older lady. Just to, I mean, I, don't, I have no idea how old she was. I'm going to say, you know, to a 26-year-old, she was probably 140. You know what I'm saying? So... So she was probably 65, 70 years old. And, um, and I sat by her. I went over and I sat down beside her. And, and a couple of the men said, uh, Mr. Pearson, come on over here and sit with us. And, I, and this is what I said. No, I want to sit by this woman right here. I said, because I don't know what she has, but I want it. Because all she had was the sweetest disposition that I've ever met in my life. She was a happy Christian. I don't know how much, I don't know how brilliant she was. I don't even care how brilliant she was. She had something that the men who were brilliant didn't have, and I knew I didn't have it. But this lady had it. And here's what I, you know, we talk about this a lot. This is all I want for us going forward as a church family, that we would have this, that we would be peaceful people, that would really be a help to the world around us. I'm telling you, what America needs is people who love one another. America is dying to see some group of people who are not concerned about getting their way or being right, but who are willing to show the love of Christ to them in a peaceful way. Again, there is a cleanness. The, the, the wisdom that is from above, we saw in James, the first thing it says, it's pure. It is pure. And praise God that it's pure. But it's peaceful purity. Do you understand? Not loud, bragging, arrogant, jerky 
pure. What God wants to accomplish is this in our lives. So here it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And they that are Christ, this is verse 24, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, and praise God we do, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I just want to look at these passages with you and we'll be done. But I want you to be able to take these with you. Write them if you're, if you're uh, you know, keeping notes at all. Just write the passages down so you can go back and look at, at them yourself later. Because the power is in these, in these words. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, right? We were. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What does that look like? For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So what we see here is, is that God has made us no longer children of darkness, but he has allowed us to walk in the light. And what does the light look like? By the way, you really want to, we don't have time to go look at it right now, but you want to see what the light really looks like? Go look at 1 John, right? And, and, and walking in light is to what? Love the brethren. To walk in light is to love the brethren. Do you, do you see how simple, really honestly, do you see how simple Christianity is meant to be? Here's the problem with it. It's easy except for the flesh, right? Christianity is a piece of cake if it wasn't for me. You understand? I mean, honestly, if I would not get in God's way, it would be so easy for him to conform me to the image of Christ. Because, see, he wants to conform me to the image of Christ. And the Holy Ghost lives in me to conform me to the image of Christ. And me, he has given us his, not only his Holy Ghost, but he's given us his Holy Word to spend time in it so that the Holy Ghost can use that to conform me to the image of Christ. And what do we do? We spend all of our time on Facebook or playing games or on television or golfing or whatever you were doing or buying shoes. I always like to pick on two things, one for the men, one for the women, right? We're, we spend all of our time in earthly things instead of spending time with our heavenly father who loves us and who is conforming us to the image of Christ. And here's what happens. Hear me, hear me. You cannot step out of your selfishness and into somebody else's life and have a positive impact upon their life. When you're walking after the flesh, when you bump into somebody else, what do they get to see? Your flesh. But if you're walking after the spirit, if the Holy Ghost is really in, in wonderful control of your life, and you bump into somebody else, what do they get to see? And the answer is they get to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. They get to see that kind of a difference. And this is, what, this is the promise of God. This is what God is wanting to accomplish in our lives. Now, go back to uh, just one more passage and we'll be done. Go back to uh, um, uh, Mark, excuse me, Matthew. I, was gonna, I had a couple of thoughts that came through my mind, and my mind gets crowded. Um, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Because I made reference to this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let's look at this. Because we're talking about that this is, that this is um, sown in peace of them that make peace, right? The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So let's go look at that. Because there's actually peacemakers shows up in your Bible earlier. It shows up at the very beginning. Again, the very beginning of our Lord's public teaching is so important if, you, if you'll lay hold of it. Because he tells, it's like, it's like um, um, in the military. The military, it's called teaching to the test. If you pay attention, if you take any military, any government school, if you pay attention at the beginning, they like give you the answers at the beginning. Then they teach you a bunch of other stuff. And then, you, and then when you're studying, you have to go over all of these notes. But if you just paid attention at the beginning, they would like give you the answers at the very beginning because they have goals. What they say is, these are the goals for this class. And they give like 20 goals. Well, the goals are the answers because that's what they're wanting you to learn. Then they spend the next seven weeks teaching you those things. And you think, man, there's so much. Now nah, just go back and study the goals because I promise you the questions are going to be the goals. Now, that's exactly, that's not, by the way, something that's unique to our government. Our government was smart enough to realize this is how God teaches us. He tells us, this is what I want to accomplish. And then he accomplishes it in our life. So let's look at that. Seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain and we said his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, I want you to notice, you can circle these things if you want to. Perfectly happy. The word blessed here, I know I've said this before, sometimes the word bless in your New Testament means kind of pouring out a blessing, if you understand, like an official announcement of blessing. But in this case, in every, in every one of these, coming up from now to verse 11, every one of these is perfectly happy. That's what it means. Blessed, perfectly happy. Perfectly happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, poor in spirit and mourning, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now what I want you to notice, if you'll notice this, the blessings, the perfectly happiness comes from attitude, not accomplishment. Go back and look at the list again. The blessings are pronounced on attitudes, not on accomplishments. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not the successful. So what is poor in spirit? It's, it's literally humble. That's what it means. I am not enough. And Jesus says, that's good. Start there, because you're not. I mean, he's not being mean-spirited. He's not saying, yeah, you guys are terrible. <laughs> I mean, if you were great, he'd tell you you're great. You're just not. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, because you need that as a starting point. Then what's the next one? Blessed are they that mourn. Why would I mourn? Because I'm poor in spirit. Right? Blessed are the meek. And again, meekness is an attitude. It's not an accomplishment. You can't make, it's funny, you know, uh, uh, Sarah Moore. Sarah Moore used to say this well, years and years ago, she, we were riding in the van. It must have been a mission trip with the teens when she was a teenager. And she used to say, Pastor, I'm working on a book. I'd say, what's your book? And she said, Humility and How I Attained It. That was the book that she was working on. Humility and How I Attained It. You understand the irony, right? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Notice it doesn't say, blessed are those who are righteous. It said, blessed, perfectly happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those who want that to be the reality of their life. Then, blessed are the merciful. Now, why would you be merciful? Because why would you not be merciful? Why would you not have a merciful attitude when all you want is mercy yourself? Just treat the people around you the way you'd want them to treat you if it was the other way around. Yes? Always, always. You know, when I was a young person, I, I know I've shared this before, but it really helps me. To, it helped me a great deal, so I hope it'll help some of you. When I was a young person, I, I bet I was 18 years old. I, was still li I, hadn't, I hadn't left uh, uh, New England yet. I was, still living, uh, I was actually still living at my parents' house or at our camp at the lake most of the time. So I was living with my parents, and my mom and I were, it's one of those times we were traveling in the car. We'd probably gone to some kind of an event. And we stopped in this little store on the way back. And my parents owned some stores. So, so I knew what it was like to work in stores. I knew what, you know, what, what quote-unquote customer service was. And so I was in the store, and it was an older woman. She was probably older. She was probably 30, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, she right next to dead, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so this 30-year-old, and she was having a terrible day. And she was, not, she was not good at customer service at all. And I was upset as she was doing And I got more upset. You know, again, you can ask my family. My, my, at one point, one of my, I think my man just said at one point, that's like bad service just follows you around sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Again, that's because of the fact that I want everything to be done right. You're being paid for this, right? It's your job. Could you, excuse me, could you get me this? Are you kidding me? Right? No, really. Could you go get that for me? Your employer would like you to go get that for me because they want me to come back and buy here again some other time, right? So we're leaving this place, and I was angry. I said, what a terrible service is it? We should never come back to the store at all. And this is what my mother said. She said, I wonder if that woman maybe has no husband and two little kids at home, and they had a really bad morning. One of them didn't sleep well last night. And she had to come to work anyway because that's all she's got is whatever she makes and brings home, which is exactly how I was raised. Until I was nine years old, I didn't have a father. My mom worked in a shoe factory. Didn't matter whether I was sick or my sister was sick, my mom still got up and went to work every single day, made very little money and came home and took care of us. Amen? And what my mom was saying is maybe that's what's happening in that lady's life. And this is what I realized. See, because we're all the star of our own movie, right? I mean, your life is the movie and they're just the extras in your movie. And so what I didn't realize is she has a real life. That woman has a real life. And maybe it wasn't a great... I mean, here my mom and I were off traveling, doing whatever we wanted to do. And at this point, my parents were... This point. And so we had whatever, we could do whatever, buy whatever we want, go wherever we want. She didn't have that in her life. Do you understand? 
God help us to be merciful. Because the person that you're talking to, I promise you, you being right isn't going to help them as much as you being merciful is going to help them. And again, blessed are the pure in heart. Again, this is the motive of the heart. This is the desire to do things sincerely and right. And then last, blessed are the peacemakers. And I want to close with this. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, let me, let me just, I, I didn't say all of this, but our time has escaped. The idea of making peace is this. Anybody ever make pottery? Anybody ever make pottery? Anybody? I did. Nobody ever? Nobody else? Raise your hand if you ever made pottery. I'm just curious. Right? It was a class when I was in high school. Right? Right? You, you, you know, you, you spun the wheel. Right? You make a coffee cup. You know why you make a coffee cup? Because it's basically round, and you make a little handle, and you stick it on the side. Right? <laughs> That's it. Right? That's it. I wasn't good at it. I wasn't good. I'm really good with math, really good with physics, really good with thinking. I could picture a coffee cup. <laughs> but I couldn't make a coffee cup. But see, that's not true. And this is something the Lord is teaching me. I could make a coffee cup. I just couldn't make a very good one. But I was thrown off by my ability instead of my desire. When the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, this is, the, this is it. It doesn't mean that you're able to make perfect peace. It means it's what your heart attitude is. You're going to go spend time with your extended family members. And you can go into the house and desire to be right and get your way and prove that you know the truth about everything. You can. Or you can go in there with a desire to be a peacemaker. You may not be able to make peace in your extended family. I don't know. I couldn't make peace with mine. And again, this is large. I love my dad. Don't get me wrong. But my dad is, you cannot make peace with my father. I mean, you just, you just can't. I, can. I could not make peace with my father. Couldn't make him happy. But what I, what I didn't understand is this. God cared about my desire. I cared about whether I was doing it or not. Do you understand? When, God said, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, it literally means this, who, who make peace. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, it doesn't matter what your coffee cup looks like if you're trying to make a coffee. You know, we made a rule in our house, that we were never going to in any way um, rebuke our children for doing something wrong while they were trying to do something right. Right? That means like burning down something when they were trying to make something for you. That type of a thing. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, when, I was, when I was a young man, I, I, uh, I got pitch, pitch on the side of my dad's truck. Pitch, right, off a tree. And it's hard to get pitch off the side of a truck. But what I realized is my mom could get anything off with a Brillo pad. So I went in the house and got a Brillo pad. And I got the pitch off the truck. It, came, it was spotless. And then I realized that, 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 that the truck was silver where the pitch used to be. Because I got the pitch, the clear coat, and the paint, and everything off the side of the truck. Right? Amen? And then I went and bought paint to fix this. Right? <laughs> anyway, long story short. <laughs> My dad judged for, go, for reaching the goal, not for effort. You know what I'm saying? So we made this rule that we were not going to judge for reaching the goal, but for the desire in our children's lives to do the right thing. Amen? You know why? Because God had changed my heart about these things. And, but here's what I realized. You have no idea how much God is on your side. How much, if you say, I, I want to make, I mean, really, don't pretend to want to make peace. I want to make peace. I want to make, it's what I want, God. I want to sow in peace because I want to make peace. You go back and look at it. And what does he say the fruit of that will be? And he said the fruit of that will be righteousness. The, let's go back and look at it. That's the, that's the very last thing we'll look at. Go back to, to James. Just take it with you. It's, it's kind of why we spend all this time together, so we probably should look at it at the end. James chapter 3, verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. That's it. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is the whole point. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. How do we bring about righteousness in the lives of those that we love? And the answer is this. Be peaceful when you're around them. Be peaceful when you're around them. Help them by being peaceful. Now here's the thing. We already saw in Galatians chapter 5 that peace is the fruit is one of the fruits of what? The spirit. Hear me, hear me. I know I've gone on. I'm sorry. So you can't be peaceful, right? Not in your own flesh. Isn't that a problem? I mean, isn't it? So, so I want to be a peacemaker, praise God. Try that in your flesh, right? Look, I'm telling you guys, 
Everybody quiet down. It's going to be peaceful in this house. Amen. It's kind of like we, we, my wife would take kids to the, to the, oh, I don't know, like a museum. Come on, we're going to have fun. <laughs> this is a good time. I'm telling you, this is a good time. Yes? You can't make peace in your flesh. You can't make peace in your flesh. It is a spiritual reality. So you're going to have to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh around your loved ones. And if we will, then if that's our desire, by the way, it is a matter of your will. If we will that that be the reality of our life, then God will allow us not only to be peaceful, but to sow in peace what will bring about righteousness in the lives of those that we love.